When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, there's always that team that people only talk about when they lose. What's ignored is how good the team actually was, and then sometimes they break through when you least expect it. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, I'm ready. Only one paper today. (laughs) Hey, it's time. It's time for the show. Let's get it started. So NFL historians, lovers of sports history, you already know, welcome in. This show is for you and not for those who already know this stuff. If you know it, congratulations. I'm rooting for you guys and gal. Yes, I'm rooting for all of you guys. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we're here to do three things. That is enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. You can check us out on bellyupsports.com. Go on it. Click on it. Check out the articles as well as the shows. And those shows you can find on our home base of Spreaker. All right. Also, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. You can check us all out. So, getting right to it. If you missed last week's show on the 70s Vikings, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, the four Super Bowl losses were one thing. But some of the playoff pain was another before they even got to the big game, right? The 77 NFC Championship game was fire, literally. I didn't even tell this story last week. I forgot about it. A fan who was wearing some kind of furry suit, some of the old heads might remember this, it caught on fire. I think he went past a hot chocolate cart or something like that. It may have been using some kind of kerosene heater of some kind. It it lit his coat or whatever that thing was on fire. That was crazy. I, I mean, I, I think I posted the video on social media a while back, but 
you know, it's one of those teams Minnesota beat three times to even reach the NFC Championship game was the Rams. All right, so always so close, you know, so close, but they could not get past the Vikings or anybody else for that matter for the longest. And I wonder if anyone outside the Rams fans and historians know just how good the Rams were in the 70s. We talk about uh, all of these teams, you know, you had the, the, the AFC was dominated by the Raiders and the Steelers and the, and the uh, Miami Dolphins. The NFC was dominated by three teams as well. It was the Minnesota Vikings, uh, who had at one point had been in the most Super Bowls at that point, you know, of anybody. And then, of course, you had the Dallas Cowboys, who actually passed them up, going to five games themselves, you know. And then there was the Rams. The Rams, they were pretty good, all right? Took them a while to get uh, some things together. Well, it didn't take them a while. I'll explain. I'll explain. Give me a minute. Um, That's what you're listening for. So their success during that decade, it can be pointed directly, really, to an ownership change. So just a little bit of history. The Rams' origins go all the way back to 1936 in the second incarnation of the AFL. It was founded by Dr. Harry March, who's talked about it before. It only lasted two seasons, and the then Cleveland Rams made their exit after that one year they played in 1936, and they entered the NFL the next year in 37. 1945, the first time them being over 500, they beat the Washington football team for the NFL championship. All was good, right? Well, not exactly because Rams owner Dan Reeves, not Dan Reeves, the head coach of the Broncos and the Giants and the Falcons. This is the owner, Dan Reeves, back in the day. He decided to move his club to California in 1946. But before they could play in the Coliseum, they had to integrate their team, right? The Times, right? The Times. Thus becoming the first professional football team to integrate in the last 13 seasons when they brought in UCLA legend Kenny Washington and his college teammate Woody Strode. All right. The 50s and 60s, well, the Rams were in the championship game four times between 1949 and 1955. They won it all in 51. After 55, it'd be a while before they would even get back to an actual championship game. All these teams were led by some legendary Hall of Fame players that Rams had, like Bob Waterfield and Tom Fears, um, Elroy Crazy Legs, Hirsch, Dick Night Train Lane, uh, Norm Van Brocklin, and also players like Dan Towler and Tank Younger, historic black black players, you know what I'm saying? Um, Ollie Matson, John Arnett. The Rams would go through four head coaches between 55 and 1970. And in between those days, um, there were the days of the fearsome foursome in the 60s, right? Deacon Jones, Merlin Olsen, Rosie Greer, Lamar Lundy. And heading into the late 60s, you also had players like Eddie Metter, Bob Brown. He was a big-time all-pro tackle. They played there for a couple of seasons. Um, quarterback Roman Gabriel. Last week, we were talking about the Vikings. And by that time, they were led by coach, head coach George Allen, who took over in 1966 in L.A. Most remember him as the Washington head coach. Or that... This is where he was, right? Um, then he got them, you know, the Super Bowl seven. Super Bowl seven. Excuse me, I can't talk. Before that, he leads the Rams to records of eight and six in his first year, eleven one and two in his second year, ten three and one, and then eleven and three in nineteen sixty nine. At some point, I can't remember which. I'm sorry, I bypassed it. He did win Coach of the Year, I believe. So twice the Rams would lose in the playoffs. You can't blame them for losing to the sixty seven Packers. 
legendary teams, right? And then the 69 Minnesota Vikings. I mean, we talked about them last last week. They had Hall of Famers and pretty good players on their own. I mean, they were 12 and two that year themselves. And I mean, it was a good game. You go back to that uh, NFL championship game. That was the last uh, legitimate NFL championship game before the merger, you know, with the AFL. So, you know, when you have all of that going on, right, um, then you have both games that would have put the Rams in the Super Bowl. The 69 championship game, Gabriel had thrown two first ta- uh, first half touchdown passes. And the Rams were actually leading in Minnesota, 17-7 in the late. The Vikings, they came back. They outscored them 16-3 in the second half, and they won the game 23 to 20. Minnesota went on to Super Bowl 4 and promptly got beat by the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the 70s Rams, the 1970 Rams, they finished with a 9-4-1 record. They missed the playoffs and then Allen was fired. Oh, they fired a guy with nine wins. Yeah, they did. They did. That same year, the NFL community lost a legend. Vince Lombardi had passed away in September while being the head coach in Washington. He would be replaced by George Allen. Allen in L.A. was replaced by former UCLA head coach. They're still digging in them local local roots, right? Tommy Prothrow, who was actually from Memphis, Tennessee, that is, um, in 1971. And that only lasted two seasons as he was fired after just two years. 1972 was a pivotal year for the L.A. Rams. While Don Shula and the Miami Dolphins were going 17-0, winning it all against George Allen's Washington football team, the L.A. Rams were searching for their sixth head coach since 1959. Well, two guys, one named Carroll and the other they called Ground Chuck, they would turn it all around. So, at the end of the 1950s, heading into the 60s, the Baltimore Colts were one of the best teams in the league. They were owned by one Carol Rosenblum, who was taking over a franchise in a city, given a second chance at pro football. After the first version of the Baltimore Colts fizzled out after a year in the NFL, and this was after they were brought over from the AAFC, or All-America Football Conference, along with the Browns and the 49ers. They won championships in 58 and 59, back-to-back against the New York Giants. These games put the NFL on the map, in particular the 1958 NFL championship. But by 1963, Rosenblum had replaced Weeb Eubank with former Colt defensive back Don Shula as head coach. Weeb Eubank was really good at his job. He was hired by Rosenblum after that first year uh, of their first head coach. I mean, he didn't have a lot of patience. Hey, we're going to win or that's, you know, you're not going to be here, right? Well, long and short of Shula's tenure in Baltimore, he won 70% of his games, but zero championships, including a major upset in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three against the New York Jets. Shula may have read the tea leaves at the supposed post-Super Bowl party. And the story goes like this. Rosenblum had declared with Shula standing by his side that he had already fired one championship head coach, and he would do it again. He wouldn't hesitate to do it again. 1969, the very next season, 
Shula's Colts missed the playoffs in spite of an 8-5-1 record. Uh, Shula had to remember what happened to his predecessor, Weave Eubank. Of course, Eubank was assured his job, you know, that it was safe before being fired after a secret interview Rosenblum had with Shula. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Behind Eubanks back. So, Don bolted for the Miami Dolphins. Won a couple championships, cemented his place in Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the next year, 1970, the Colts won Super Bowl V. But Carol Rosenblum had some other issues. This time, it was with the city. He wanted a new stadium. He wanted it built, and the city said no. Rams owner Dan Reeves that same year had died of cancer in April of 1971. Businessman Robert Ursett put in the winning bid of $19 million dollars to buy the Rams on the other coast in L.A. The next summer, Rosenblum and Ursay would trade franchises straight up. Not only did Rosenblum get to move on to another team, no players or coaches were involved in this trade. He saved $4.4 million in taxes, which was the other issue that he had in Baltimore. The league would not let them move the coast. Soon after, Rosenblum would bring those same winning ways to Baltimore. Now, to be fair, I did talk junk about the way Rosenblum fired Weeb and then he got beat by that same coach in the Super Bowl. I mean, who doesn't see the irony of that? <laughs> so, I mean, am I not going to say something about that? I mean, it doesn't really need to be said, but there you go. But there's no doubt, though, Rosenblum built winners. He demanded it. He was impatient, had a quick trigger, but he built winners and he got results. Just think about it. Eubank. Rosenblum hires him, and he turns the Colts around after firing that previous coach after that one losing season. They win the back-to-back championships in 58-59. Eubanks struggles a little bit, and although it technically wasn't fair, neither is life, he was replaced by Shula, who never won a championship, but he won all of those games, right? Shula jumps out the window to Miami in 69, and the next year, with the guy that he chooses as Shula's replacement that was already on the staff, Don McCafferty, they win the Super Bowl. Now he's with the LA Rams. You know, what are they going to do after having struggled? So they're either going to win or some heads are going to roll. Well, heads did roll. So here we go. In 1973, the Rams hired Chuck Knox as head coach. Tommy Prothrow, he should have known. The 73 Rams, they were 12 and 2 in Knox's first year. And I'll get this out of the way right now. This would be the first of seven straight division titles the Rams would win from 73 to 79. These teams featured all-pro quarterback, now this is early, John Hadle, receiver Harold Jackson, linebacker Isaiah Robinson. They also had Pro Bowl running back Lawrence McCutcheon, Jack Youngblood, Jim Bertelson, defensive end Fred Dreyer. He was no slouch. I mean, he was pretty good. And you know, he had... What, 10 sacks that year in 73, unofficially. That, he was a rookie that year. In the playoffs, however, the Rams had to pay Landry, Tom Landry, that is, 
and those Dallas Cowboys a visit. Fourth quarter, the Rams trailed the Dallas Cowboys 17-16. And then the bottom fell out as the Cowboys scored 10 straight points. They won that game 27-16. Move on to the next year in 1974. Chuck Knox, he made a quarterback change five games into the season. John Hadel, he started the season 3-2. All right, we got to do better than this. We're just one game away from 500. One of the few black quarterbacks in early NFL history to break through. I've said this before. While the L.A. Rams, you know, with those L.A. Rams, that is, in 1974, James Shaq Harris became the first African-American quarterback to start a season opener. Didn't start that season opener. But he also won a playoff game. They beat the Washington football team 19-10 later on that season. And he not only made the Pro Bowl, but he won MVP. First African-American to do that. The Rams finished that season 10-4 during that regular season and had to go into Minnesota for the NFC Championship. So, here's how that game ended. Now, the final was 14-10. It wasn't a pretty game. Look, there were eight fumbles in that game between both teams and three interceptions. In the third quarter, Minnesota had a 7-3 lead and they were on, the Rams had drove all the way to the half yard line of Minnesota. And tight end, Pat Curran, flinched. Five yard penalty, and that killed the drive that would have helped them in that game, which they needed badly, okay? Um, They go on to lose that game, and a lot of people point to that situation right there as to not the entire reason why they lost, because I mean, look, you're still on the five-yard line, put some points on the board. It never happened. So there you go. But next year, though, they had another shot. 1975, they were 12-2 again. The D is nasty, giving up only 135 points in the 14 regular season games. It's also to be remembered that the Rams, over the past couple of seasons, were 12-2 at home. Defensively, you had Jack Youngblood, who was an all-pro, Fred Dreyer, Pro Bowler, uh, and the old man, Mr. Fearsome Foursome, the last Fearsome Foursome original member, Merlin Olsen, was still there. And also yet, Isaiah Robertson and Hacksaw Reynolds and safety Dave Elmendorf, he wasn't that bad either. Pretty good. James Harris, the clear-cut starter, he led that team at least until week 13 where he injured his shoulder. Alright, so then you have the 1973 second-round pick and backup quarterback that steps in. Anybody heard of Ron Jaworski? Yeah, he took over, and he led the Rams all the way, not just the end of the regular season, throughout the playoffs to the 75 NFC Championship game. And here we go, again, the Cowboys. Roger Staubach and them boys again. As great as that defense was, they got the brakes beat off of them. At one point, Dallas led 34 to nothing. The final was 37 to seven. The game was already over. All right, moving on to the next year, 76. I don't know how many USC fans listened to the show, but before Pat Hayden was the athletic director, he was the Trojans quarterback. And by 76, he had been drafted by the Rams. He was third on the depth chart behind James Harris and Ron Jaworski, behind Jaws. Both of those guys in front of him got hurt. Hayden was the starter now. Although Harris, who started five games, he still led them in passing, but Knox's team would finish 10-3-1 that year. Groundchuck loved to run the ball, and he did so between Lawrence McCutcheon and John Capuletti. Now, receiver Ron Jesse, he made the Pro Bowl that year. Harold Jackson, really good. 
The defense still had its stars, but Hayden and the Rams, they got some measure of revenge uh, by beating the uh, Dallas Cowboys in Dallas before moving on to the NFC Championship game. That game was really, really interesting. Um, so there was a, this was a chance really to be the virtual home team as the Super Bowl that year was going to be played in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. It would have been an all-California Super Bowl because the Raiders ended up making that Super Bowl. And of course, if you know your history, your Super Bowl history, they won it all. That was the first one that John Madden would win, the first and only one that John Madden and those Raiders would win in the 70s, as dominant as they were, right? Well, this time around, you have a chance to do this thing, and they just, man, I, and I even, I took the time to actually watch some of this game. So you got a rookie quarterback in Pat Hayden. And I think this also needs to be noted that the Rams had to go back to the Met, the Metropolitan in Bloomington, Minnesota in December, right? Where the Vikings were waiting. The Rams were 0-6 at that point in the playoffs, playing in cold weather. I was listening to the, that game. I think it was Tom Brookshire and Pat Summerall who were doing that game. Yes, they lost the seventh, and it would be the third straight loss to the Vikings in the playoffs. So not only do you have Hayden, you know, the rookie quarterback, and you still got Capuletti and McCutcheon, but it would be special teams that put them in an early hold. The Rams, they drop all the way inside the Vikings five. Twice they thought they scored. Didn't happen. They settled for a field goal, but not only did the Vikings get their 14th blocked field goal of the season, it was returned for a touchdown. Later, a blocked punt would lead to a field goal. The Vikings were up 10-0. But Hayden, he brought the Rams back within four. They were down, what, 17-13. There's 2.40 left to go in the fourth quarter. It's fourth and 10. So the Vikings are expecting a short pass, and they're trying to guard the stick. They're guarding the, the sticks. Well, receiver Ron Jesse, he beat cornerback Nate Wright really bad. Vikings quarterback. Nate Wright, he got toasted. He's wide open. So going back and looking at that game, I'm like, well, golly, I mean, how did you not get that? Well, he couldn't complete that pass. Why? Because he went deep. Bobby Bryant, who's the corner on the other side, left his man, Harold Jackson, goes all the way across the field and picks off the ball. It was going to be a touchdown. Minnesota, they ended up polishing off the rounds with a late fourth quarter touchdown. The final was 24 to 14. And that was actually Merlin Olsen's last game. He retired after that. Ron Jaworski would be traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for all-pro tight end Charlie Young. James Harris, he was shipped off to San Diego where he finished off his career. So you move on to the year that I was born, in 1977. This was actually Chuck Knox's final year with the Rams. They were 10-4. and four. Of course, they won the division again. No need to explain the rest except to say the Rams were eight-point favorites in this game, divisional playoff game, and they lost 14 to seven to Minnesota. Once again, they lose again to the Vikings. 1978. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No 
purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Changes were brewing, and they started with their own head coach again. Nineteen seventy-eight. No, this isn't Men in Black Two, but Chuck Knox is gone. He leaves. Carol Rosenblum uh, rehires George Allen, who had finished his career in Washington. I think he got fired, actually. I mean, Hall of Fame coach, but when it came to that seventy-eight version of the Rams that he was brought in to coach, those guys they weren't for his militant ways. He was a little bit of a, you know, strict guy apparently, and they didn't like the way that he coached. So he was hired in February, but fired two games into the preseason. And his replacement, Rams defensive coordinator and player favorite, Raimondo Giuseppe Giovanni Baptiste Malavesi, or just Ray Malavesi. Chuck Knox, you know, he's gone. He decided to take the Buffalo Bills job. Ken Johnson, one of my best friends at work who played up under Chuck Knox, Loved him. The Bills loved him. He was trying to turn that Bills team around. And, you know, he did a pretty decent job. I just remember him more so not just with the Rams, but with the Seattle Seahawks. Because I think he coached longest with the Seattle Seahawks in the 80s. But anyway, Malavasi. He's coaching the team in the, the first year that the NFL expands the regular season to 16 games. So you're playing two more games. And the Rams, they finished the season with a really good record, 12-4. and four. It's pretty good for your first year, right? No offensive play, pro bowlers, that is, but the defense was still steady. The Rams exacted a little bit of revenge, now beating the aged Vikings 34-10 before losing to the Dallas Cowboys 28-jack to Jack in the NFC t- title game. And that would be the first time since 1968 that a team was shut out since the Baltimore Colts did that to the Browns up under Don Shula. Uh, in route to Super Bowl three, and it was all Charlie Waters. Charlie Waters picking off Pat Hayden left and right, and set those teams up for the the short scores, the short field scores in that game, and the Rams got nothing going. But then came 1979. Hmm. Surprisingly enough, the Rams would win their seventh straight division title, right? Even with a nine and seven record, they made the playoffs. Reaching the NFC Championship game. They beat Dallas that year. What, 21-19, squeaked by. But it was a tough year in L.A. Starting with this. April 2nd, 1979. Owner Carol Rosenblum, he drowns in a swimming incident off Golden Beach that's in Miami. Suburb, uh, I think a suburb of, well, it's outside of Miami or whatever. And his widow, Georgia Frontier, she gets 70% ownership, and eventually, Steve Rosenblum gets fired by her. Now, this is the same Steve Rosenblum who made the mistake of allowing, while his father was out of town, <laughs> of allowing the Miami Dolphins to interview Don Shula without his approval. I wonder if that interview ever happens if Don Shula ever leaves. Maybe he gets fired anyway, because Rosenblum, boy, he had that, that he was trigger happy. But anyway, on top of the death of their owner, 
Once again, the injury bug hit the quarterback position. Once again, you got another hurt quarterback, your starter. Pat Hayden, he breaks a finger on his throwing hand. It requires surgery. He's out for the season. They had hopes of him possibly coming back for the playoffs. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. So they had some other quarterbacks. Bob Lee, who was 33 years old, came over from Minnesota. And rookie Jeff Rutledge. And then you had a guy by the name of Vince Ferengamo. Ultimately, it would be that last guy, Ferengamo, who would lead this team through the regular season into the playoffs as they once again somehow, some way, make it back to the championship game, the NFC championship game. This time, it's against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a squad that's only been around for four years. They were T-R-A-S-H, garbage juice. And then they go from that to being in the NFC championship game. Part of that reason was Doug Williams, one of the few black quarterbacks of the day. Okay, He got a shot at that position, and he took it and rolled with it. And I hated the way that they treated him even after that game because, I mean, man, I mean, his story is going to be told. You probably already know it, but if you don't, you're going to hear it from my show eventually. But they beat, the Rams did the Buccaneers on three field goals. It was nine to nothing. It was an ugly NFC championship game, but they got it done. Frank Corral kicks all the points. The Rams finally win the NFC championship game. And guess who's waiting on them in the Super Bowl? the Pittsburgh Steelers, the dynasty of the 70s, Hall of Famers on both sides of the ball, but a team that was aging. Super Bowl 14 played in the Rose Bowl again. Pasadena, California, the Rams, you get a second chance at playing in the Super Bowl as the virtual home team, right? They missed out, what, four years earlier, but now they had their shot. The 79 team was a little bit different. Of course, Farron Gamo, they took over for Pat Hayden. Lawrence McCutcheon, he wasn't the starter anymore. It was Wendell Tyler, who was an 1,100-yard back in his own right, and a very big shot in the arm for the offense, along with a fullback, Cullen Bryant. Ron Jesse, he was coming off the bench. Uh, they had new starters at receiver like Preston Denard. Billy Waddy had been starting, I think, a couple years, too. New faces on the defensive side like safety, Nolan Cromwell. He was pretty good, and linebacker Bud Bradinsky. The offense was 15th in the league. The defense was 11th. They barely outscored their opponents offensively, yet, like I said, they beat Dallas, and then they beat Tampa Bay, and look, we, we don't care how we did it, we made it. We finally got here. Finally got here. But I got a question for you. You ever watch a game where that team that wasn't supposed to win, I don't care what sport, they just, like, never go away? I don't know if there's fans... There's a fan base that loves that, the underdog. I understand that. But you ever watch that? And it's like, they never, they're not going away. That was Super Bowl 14. The Rams weren't, they had no business being there. Pittsburgh was a 10-point favorite. And the Rams had the worst record of anyone to ever reach the Super Bowl. I'll just sum it up like this. The Rams had a 13-10 halftime lead. And even in the beginning of what, the third quarter? After a 47-yard bomb from Bradshaw to Lynn Swan, Terry Bradshaw to Lynn Swan, put the Steelers back up. Rams took the ball right back down the field. And McCutcheon, he threw a 24-yard touchdown of his own to Rod Smith. By the end of the third quarter, the Rams defense had picked off Terry Bradshaw twice. He would throw three interceptions, and he would still win Super Bowl MVP. Still don't know how he did that. Um, <laughs> I know 300-something yards, it, it, it'll probably get you the award. Um, 
they had picked him off twice. Lin Swan got knocked out of the game with a concussion. L.A. had a 19-17 lead going into the fourth quarter. The Rams' future was actually looking really bright. I mean, Frank Corral, you could have made that extra point, I guess. Three points may have made some kind of difference, but you missed it. Unfortunately, the fourth quarter was all Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm a Steelers fan, so I'm glad that happened, uh, even if I was just one years old. Uh, <laughs> in the end, they outscored the Rams 14 to nothing in the fourth. But even after Pittsburgh, you know, they the, the lead grew to 24 to 19. A 73-yard bomb from Bradshaw to John Starworth, who I would argue should have won MVP. He only caught three passes. He had like 115 yards, and not only did he score a touchdown to put him ahead, he caught another 45-yard bomb that pretty much, on the exact same play, by the way, that Bradshaw underthrew him, um, that actually led to their final score. So, you know, the Rams, they were driving again to potentially take the lead. Just about every playoff scenario that we've talked about throughout this show whether i spoke it out or not it always came down to rams mistakes it always did vince ferragamo played a completely clean game to this to this point all right he finished the day what 15 or 25 through for 212 but he made his only mistake and it actually destroyed the rams momentum there was 829 left to play in the fourth quarter pittsburgh's up 24 to 19. The Rams had drove from their 16-yard line all the way to the Pittsburgh 32. Again, the Rams, uh, they're not exactly the, the most youthful team. They just have that momentum. And they're like, look, we have nothing to lose. We've lost in the NFC Championship all these years. We finally got here, and we're going to play. And they played their butts off. They did. And they're playing against a team that was expected to win, and they were expecting to win, and they were submitted uh, you know, they have been this is their fourth Super Bowl in six years. They've been here, done that for the most part. Most of that team was still together, even though they had some new stars. Everybody's not going to stay the same forever. But it was just something that was in the Rams that day. But you just let one mistake, it that one mistake cost you just that one. So Ferragamo fires a pass over the middle to Rod Smith, and it was picked off by Jack Lambert. Problem was, uh, receiver Billy Waddy, he was wide open. I think on the left side of the field, I think it may have been. Oh, he was coming across the field on, on, on a route. I, I have to go back and watch it again. Uh, it's been a while. I've watched that game a couple times. But he forces the ball over the middle. I think he never saw Jack Lambert. One of those situations, you throw a football over the middle, you got a lot of linemen in front of you. But Billy Waddy was wide open on the play, and Ferrangamo didn't see him. And the Steelers, they, you know, eventually they scored on a Franco Harris one-yard run. That was the ball game. Your final, Steelers 31, Rams 19. The team wasn't supposed to be there. Of all the Rams teams throughout the 70s, even back in 1969, I you go back even further than that. The worst team with a winning percentage above 500 that made it to the Super Bowl. Nearly won the game. Of course, there's the aftermath, though. Malavasi, he actually continued to coach the Rams for three more seasons before being fired himself after the 82 strike shortened season. All right. And unfortunately, I read uh, where he had passed away, I think in 1987, he had collapsed, had a heart attack. He actually had a um, um, heart surgery or whatnot the year before, I think in 78 as well. And then just to throw in Carol Rosenblum, supposedly that he was one of the first 
uh, bypass, I think triple bypass patients of the day. And some people said that that may have had something to do with his death drowning. Now, from those, uh, and I hate to just throw this in the middle here, uh, he was crying for help. Say, hey, help, help. But the undertow got him and, and drug him away. They kept trying to save the man. They couldn't get him and hold him. This is, a, what, a 73-year-old guy that's out there trying to swim. And even though he was in, I guess he was in somewhat pretty good shape, it, he didn't make it. But both guys had heart problems. And Mel Vasey, unfortunately, he passed away uh, way too soon. He was only 57 years old when he died. Jack Youngblood, though, on a lighter note, 14 years, 201 consecutive games, five-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, uh, you know, defensive player of the year a couple times. He retired in 85, a couple years uh, there, and he was he's both in the College Football Hall of Fame and Pro Football Hall of Fame. Harold Jackson, I mean, he was traded away to the Patriots in 1978, and he finished his career there as a player um after some stints with the vikings and seahawks and he actually was a longtime receivers coach in the nfl and an assistant coach in college and eventually he finished his career as a head coach at jackson state ron jesse he had broke his leg six games into the 79 season and missed out on the super bowl and he's one of those guys that would had been there and done that and he, he couldn't even play in the game I know that was that was really hard for him. That was really hard for Pat Hayden, who had a couple of seasons up under his belt, you know, going through that those hard times. And they finally reached the Super Bowl, and these two guys aren't even there. Uh, he was traded to the Buffalo Bills, where he played his final two seasons, and he retired after the 81 season. Isaiah Robinson, I didn't know how good this guy was as a linebacker. I almost feel like if he had played in that Super Bowl, it's a possibility they may have won. I think he may have been one of the guys that would have been a difference maker in that game. But I think it was a it may have been a contract issue. Um, he was a four-time All-Pro and a six-time Pro Bowler. He finished up with the Rams in 78. And then he played his last four years with the Buffalo Bills. He retired uh, in 82. Lawrence McCutcheon, his last game was Super Bowl 14 against the Steelers. He spent the 80 season between his last game with the Rams, that is. And he spent the 80 season between the Broncos and Seahawks before retiring with the Buffalo Bills in 1981. In 82, McCutcheon joined the Rams personnel department and he stayed there until 2016. 42 total years with the Rams organization. 44 years in the NFL. That's pretty good. That's a great career. Great career. Fred Dryer, before I knew that Fred Dryer played pro football, I knew him as Lieutenant Rick Hunter. I mean, raise your hand if you remember that TV show, Hunter. Yeah, it was like from 84 to 91. Check his IMDb. I'm just an actor, a 6'6 actor. But I had to know, man, this guy had to play something. I didn't think anything about it. There's a lot of tall dudes who did not play sports. And I just thought he was, <laughs> that was it. But he was he was a great great NFL player. Not he was not he's not in the Hall of Fame or anything like that. But I think he finished his career unofficially with like 101 sacks. That's a lot of sacks, man. He retired after the 81 season. Then there's Hack Jack uh, <laughs> Hacksaw Reynolds, Jack Reynolds, middle linebacker. He had played with the Rams since 1980, and they parted ways after 11 years due to a contract dispute. And uh, I think he was in the Pro Bowl in 1980. He was picked up by the San Francisco 49ers. So he missed out on those rings and things like that. He was on all of those teams. He gets picked up by San Francisco and gets two rings. 
They're NF uh, NFC West rivals. You know what happened. You know, Reynolds, he, he got those two Super Bowl rings to, in his first year in 1981 and then in 84 before retiring. That's pretty good. <laughs> he, had a, he enjoyed a lot of success, a lot of pain there, lots of pain. But, you know, finishing up with the 49ers like that, I mean, that's pretty good. Then there's those two quarterbacks, Pat Hayden, Pat Hayden, excuse me. All right, so he was the opening day starter in 1980, but he ended up getting injured, I believe, in that first game. Ferragamo once again took over, leading the Rams to an 11 and five record. They got a, uh, they lost in Dallas again in the wild card uh, round. The next year, Hayden got his job back uh, in '81, and he retired. He was done with pro football after '81. Ferragamo though. He didn't get the contract he desired with the Rams after playing so well, helping them to the Super Bowl, you know, those couple of years earlier. So he ended up playing a year with the Montreal Alouettes in the CFL. Didn't work out too well for him. In 80, he actually threw 30 touchdowns and 19 interceptions. That's still a lot of interceptions, but 30 touchdown passes. He threw 25 interceptions in 13 games in the CFL and only seven touchdowns. Then he goes back to LA. So in 82, he played three more years with L.A. before moving on to Buffalo in 1985. Then he retired in 86 after playing with the Packers from 74 to 1980. You talk, talking years instead of seasons. Uh, the L.A. Rams, they were in the NFC Championship game five times in six years. They won seven straight division titles. That's not easy to do. They had multiple pro bowlers and all pros. And of course, that 79 team was just different. After all that time of having double-digit wins all of those seasons, winning 10, 11, 12 games, and then the 9-7 team is the one that makes it to the Super Bowl and almost wins it. They had a chance. They had a chance. But it's another one of those good teams, those really good teams that people may not have known just how good they were. Not just during the, uh, the 70s, the period. They were so close and just couldn't get over the hump. Again, we talk about the Steelers and the Raiders, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, the Vikings, the LA Rams. They were good too. References, that's it. That's it. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Sportsking.com. This is an article written by Dave Manuel, May 29th, 2022. On July 13th, 1972, the LA Rams were traded for Baltimore Colts. <laughs> also, websites, profootballreference.com. ProFootballHallOfFame.com, UPI.com, CFLopedia.com. Also on FoxSports.com, this one is by Fox Sports. Former Rams running back Lawrence McCutcheon to retire after 42 years with organization. Dated November 15, 2016. Also, NFL Films, my favorite, my favorite. And speaking of favorites, two of my favorite books in all the world. I have to name those, cite those as well. America's Game, the NFL at 100, co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams, and the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl Book 1993 Edition. Editors Tom Dinert, Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly of Sports. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr., and we're a part of the Belly of Sports Podcast Network, bellyofsports.com. Check us out on Spreaker. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show or I will what? That's right. I'll find your house. I'm out.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.